Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Debatable with your hosts, I'm Kyle, I'm Nina, and today we're gonna talk about the coronavirus, which is rather serious, and the reason why everyone's not in school right now, and everyone's hopefully in self-quarantine. Yeah, or at the very least, they're keeping safe, like washing their hands, you know, social isolation, all that stuff. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wait, no, not social isolation, social distancing. Social distancing is the, the buzzword. And we thought it was just important to take a break from discussing debate things and actually talk about issues that affect us. Regardless of whether or not these come up in debate tournaments, it's still important to know because it affects everyone, regardless of if you're a debater or not. A lot of things have changed because of this virus. A lot of events have been cancelled. Tournaments have been cancelled even. Um, because it's just really a big deal that affects everyone regardless of who you are. So uh, the first thing I want to do is just clarify a bit of misconception that everyone has. I also had this misconception, but luckily I encountered a tweet a few days ago regarding uh, the issue. And apparently, there's a difference between what we call the virus and the disease. So the virus itself isn't called COVID-19. Um, the, the virus itself is called SARS-CoV-2 which stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus 2. That's the virus. I'm not sure what the one is. I think the, the, it's called 2 now because it kind of evolved. It, it, it mutated. Maybe. It mutated. That's what but I the know. disease, on the other hand, that's what you call COVID-19, Yeah. which stands for Coronavirus Disease 2019. So the so, SARS-CoV-2 is what causes COVID-19. So what we're doing now is we're preventing the spread of the virus so that Less people get the disease. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, it's just all technicalities, but I think the scientific community is rather technical about these things, and a lot of articles get it wrong, which is why it's important to just clarify a lot of these things so that everyone's on the same page. All right, so the first part we want to talk about are the origins. I think everyone's aware that this was a disease and a virus that started spreading from Wuhan. The reason being that um, things were consumed in the wet market Particularly, they thought it was... What was it? Bats. Well, it came from bats. And then the disease from the bat transferred to another animal. And that was debated for a while. They thought it was a snake. Others thought it was the bat itself. But at this point, no one's really sure. It's either a snake or a pangolin. Yes. A pangolin. I'm, I'm not sure what that animal looks like. You don't know, You don't play Dota. Kasi. I don't play Dota. <laughs> Is that a Dota thing? Um... No, but there's a hero in Dota, the, the Pangolier. Oh. That, that's how I know what it looks like. It looks oh. like a cute little armadillo. But oh, anyway, okay. we're digressing. The, okay. the point okay. is, it came from somewhere, and we know that a lot of the initial patients, the people who first got it, um, were most of them were exposed to a Chinese wet market um, the in, in Wuhan, and this is the reason why we called it the Wuhan coronavirus at first. But in any case, regardless of how it of where it originated from, we now find it in humans. Um, and it, it's also kind of how SARS spread. SARS came from the consumption of bats. Right? That's also why China was the origin area of that disease we had a few years back. And now it's sort of making a weird comeback in the worst way. So if you've watched that Vox video, they kind of explain really well why China is the source of a lot of these diseases. And it's really because of their culture of eating wildlife. Animals that are not usually consumed, like bats and pangolins and, and snakes. And this has been an issue for a while. So it's not a biological weapon. I think that's a theory that goes around the internet way too often that needs to just be 
uh, like struck down. I I don't think it's a biological weapon because that makes no sense. And even yeah, if it did, why would you use it against exactly? Your why own would you people? use it against your own people? But you know, people are very skeptical of China and believe that they're capable of doing something like this. But it just makes no sense we'll economically, talk about politically, whatever. We'll talk about some more conspiracy theories in the next part. But <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so how did this end up happening anyway? Actually, this has been an issue for a while in China because they had a law in China called the Wildlife Protection Law, and Article Three states that wildlife is a na- national resource. So other countries state that wildlife does not belong to the states. It's something that should be protected, something that should be preserved. But it's treated like a resource here in China, which means that Article 3 also states that people are allowed to utilize this wildlife for any personal gain. They can turn it into artifacts, food, um, designs, or whatever. In the Philippines, you have a similar provision in the Constitution that says that the state owns um, flora and fauna, but... It, it doesn't make the distinction. It doesn't allow people to utilize all forms of fauna. It doesn't allow people to farm, for example, the Philippine eagle. Because the Philippine eagle technically belongs to the state. Mm. Unlike Article 3 of this particular law in China. Article 17 of that law also says that they encourage domestication and the breeding of wildlife. And that in turn led to large-scale farming of those animals. So if you can see that these kinds of viruses... They come from um, animals or the consumption of animals. And we call this as zoogenesis, which means that, you know, the genesis of it is an animal. Mm. And the reason why large-scale farming is an issue here is because when you farm animals, like you make a lot of them, you also have some practices that might cause some mutations. So there are some instances in which, um, for example, there's a big issue right now about antibiotic resistance. Um, the wide, the wide scale farming of animals contributes to antibiotic resistance because they just feed a bunch of antibiotics to animals. So the meat that we consume contributes to an- the antibiotic resistance, mm-hmm. which is like a really huge health issue crisis that we're experiencing right now. And besides the farming in itself, even the conditions of the wet markets are really bad. If you've seen videos of what wet markets look like in China, and even in other areas of the world, usually they stack animals on top of each other. So the animals on the bottom are covered in the feces and urine of the animals on top. And this can lead to a lot of mutations. This can lead to a lot of more diseases being bred and formed in those wet spaces alone. Yeah, cross-contamination. So the conclusion here is that like some of these practices are large sources of the problem. So it's very debatable in some sense because is it racist to condemn the practice of eating these animals, of breeding them in this particular way, of conducting your um, wet markets in this particular way? Is it racist for you to do so or is it just an objective critique on like sanitation practices, etc.? I think there's a fine line between that because on one hand, we can criticize how they're conducting the practice but not the practice practice itself. I don't think that anyone has the right to say that the consumption of this particular animal is wrong, especially since other countries can consume other types of animals with no issue. I think the CSIS and H1N1 is proof of this, that even if we're not talking about strange wildlife and we're talking about normal things that are consumed, like chickens, if you're not taking care of the markets, it will still lead to outbreaks anyway. Yeah, so Siguro, we're talking about practices that are unsanitary and also at the same time not based on a particular culture. So I would I don't think that the way people stack animals, for example, in a wet market 
is a cultural thing. It might be an efficiency thing. Mm. But yeah, so I don't think it's racist to point out that those kinds of practices are unsanitary. But in my opinion, eating bats, for example, in and of itself is not necessarily something that is unsanitary. Like, you can find ethical and also sanitary ways to eat anything. Like, you can make bread out of cockroaches now. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, some people are packaging it as, like, the way that we solve food scarcity. That reminds you of Snowpiercer, if you've seen it. Like, they eat, like, bars of... Oh, this is spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert! They eat bars of food, and they don't know what it is. But later on in the movie, they discover it's actually, like, roaches that they grind up and then give to people as food. Yeah, but cockroaches are actually a good source of protein, okay, okay. if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> another... Cockroach apologist. <laughs> That's for another time. So why was it important to talk about the origins? I think that besides response and being able to react to viruses and outbreaks, it's also important to take a step back and look at how can we prevent these things from happening in the future. So there have been a lot of improvements since SARS took place years ago, and even H1N1. But again, I think this is proving that those things were not enough. And constantly, the world is changing, climate is evolving, animals are also growing resistance, as you said. So methods always have to change as we go along. So that's basically it for the origins. Again, this is information we've just picked up ourselves online through reading, through watching a lot of videos and gathering information for ourselves. This may not be accurate because as of now, people are still you know, learning new things about it. So yeah. maybe no, in the future you go like you come back to this episode and you go like oh that's so inaccurate Nina yeah. and Kyle yeah, what are you doing? It's not our fault. We're, we're doing our best to do the research that we can with the limited information the world has. All right, so that's origins. So we're going to talk about and sort of dissect this episode in sort of issues because I think that's the best way I know how to approach things. There's just so much to cover regarding the coronavirus. The first thing is probably the issue of information. And a lot of our problems are because that the information's wrong or a lot of things are being hidden from us or there's not enough transparency. I think the first instance is China's response to the issue. You remember, if you read correctly, there have been whistleblowers that have been trying to bring this disease out like as soon as it started, but it took a few weeks for it to spread before China actually reported it to the world that there was something going on. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the first person who reported that this is a coronavirus, it's like SARS, um, like he spread it in a in a group chat or something, and then the Chinese government sort of coerced him to say that he was just making stuff up to stir panic. Mm. And then that doctor later died of, of the coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah, so... It was only after so a lot of people have been infected that they ended up reporting to the WHO that there is a disease that we're not sure what it is yet, but it's not um, it's not responding to the kinds of medical interventions that we usually see working. Yeah, and there's a lot of reasons for this omission. So there's a political reason. Obviously, China doesn't want to make itself look weak. There's an economic reason because the stocks have been plummeting ever since the disease spread. And China didn't want to face those repercussions, so they tried to hide the information for as long as possible. Also because they thought, wrongly, that they had the capacity to contain it. Um, but because they responded a little bit too late, over 114 countries have now been infected. Uh, that's my information at the time of this recording. Yeah, so I think in terms of information dissemination, it's super important because 
a very crucial aspect of containing a disease or any illness is for you to minimize information asymmetry. Information asymmetry is when one party has less information than the other. In this case, the government has a lot of information it doesn't necessarily share to like people on the ground. And that leads to a lot of market failures. Like if you're using econ terms, they're market failures. And this leads to some like behaviors that are actually bad for people as a whole. So this is where you get stuff like um, fake news to cover the, to fill in the gaps of what people don't know, even though it's not necessarily true. This is also why a lot of people get paranoid and end up with a lot of conspiracy theories. If you've seen that tweet that's been circulating all over the internet about this book, um, I forgot the name of the book. It had something to do with something, something darkness. And there was like, ah, oh, there's a biological weapon that will be released in 2020. So people were referring to that and saying, oh my god, this is probably true because someone predicted this from the past. And obviously, any rational person wouldn't believe it. But because there is not enough information online or even from their governments they're forced to create like very creative like narratives in their minds just to somehow calm them down or give them an explanation which is if you think about it also the reason why religion became a thing (laughs) yeah so i I think some important points that you can get from what you last said um there is you have twin rights you have the right to information about matters on public concern because that's the only way for you to make informed and rational decisions. Um, and they inform your right to free speech. Your, like All of your other rights are informed by the information that you get by asserting your right to information matters of public concern. Mm. The problem is, even in the Philippines, your right to information on matters of public concern is limited. The first limitation is that it has to be of public concern. The next one is that if there are limitations... Um, under the law, you cannot go beyond those limitations and just unilaterally demand the government for that information. So if the information is like something that involves national security or if it's confidential, then the government can withhold it from the public. So maybe in this instance, the government said, this is, we can't afford a widespread panic. Let's withhold this information at this point in time so that we can find out a more strategic way to disperse it to the, to the public. Mm. I guess another issue with information is that given that social media is such a big thing, there's just too many sources. There's not enough like streamlined sources of information. Even a lot of the different news channels, if you tune into the radio and if you look online, if you read Twitter and if you watch TV, all of them will have different information. Probably because information is coming to them at different points. Like the TV networks get the information faster but social media gets it the fastest, right? So that's also an issue. And like I, no Monday. Yeah. No Monday, I was in class that was like 8.30 or 9. And then I found out that Phil Starr actually said that, oh, Quezon City suspended all of their classes today. And then like we, there was a big, I wouldn't say a panic, but a lot of people were feeling very... Mm, confused? Confused about it. Um, so we we ended up having the student government ask, authorities in UP and it went to like the the mayor herself and then she was the one who said that you know like stop this is fake news this fake news at least that had checks and balance it it was a little late but that's better than nothing actually I would recommend if you have telegram there is actually a a group dedicated to 
information dissemination. It, it's pretty accurate. I think it's really up to date. They inform you like live. So I'll be linking the the group for everyone's benefits. I I think that if you're in the Philippines, you should join this. And even if you're not in the Philippines, you're just kind of curious about what's happening in the Philippines. Join it as well. Anyway, so you have fake news, right? What are the kinds of fake news that we see? Um, we saw earlier that it was like like the, the virus and the disease are being used to cover up the fact that the world is flat. Oh yeah, that's we just from a like that. crazy uh, Facebook comment though. Um, we also saw someone who said that I don't know what happened yet. Well, someone said it's uh, China's weapon. Other people are saying it's another distraction because the the yellow the yellow group of Philippines. I can't say the T A R D word. Basically, the Dilawans are losing. Therefore, they want to distract you from Duterte's good policies, etc. Wow. Yeah, I think those are pretty stretches. Uh, because if that was the case. Wow, in fairness for the Philippines, we got to dictate the the news all over the world, right? <laughs> yeah. Tapos, I, I also heard some stuff about, like, so, if there's a lot of fake news, what do we do? So it's a classic fake news debate. What do we do about fake news? Like, should we criminalize people for it? Actually, I've had some conversations with my family about this because they're big nerds also. Mm-hmm. I said that, well, the revised penal code, Article 154, already says that... um. Any person who publishes or causes the publication of false news that tends to endanger the public interest can be held criminally liable. So I would say that posting fake news, causing the publication of fake news, could be like something that you could use to throw people in jail, for example. Hmm. But what if you just share fake news? Like you don't know that was fake news, but you shared it anyway. Um, should that person be held liable? And I said no, naman, because we have to follow the ruling in Decini versus Secretary of Justice, which said that if you're looking at cyber libel and you have aiding and abetting cyber libel, what would that look like? And the court said that that part of the law should be struck down for being too vague. And they said that if you're just going to share a post that contained fake news, that's not necessarily cyber libel. But if you share that piece of um, fake news that libelous defamatory remark online and then you add some new things then you say some other bad stuff other fake news then that constitutes as a separate act altogether so if anyone is thinking about criminalizing fake news number one i think that there's already a precedent for it within the law that we already have and number two you still have to limit it to exclude innocent people who are just sharing fake news that they saw online following that ruling and also, maybe Facebook should be held liable too. Hmm. Because the law says that anyone who publishes or causes the publication of these articles, blah, 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 maybe Facebook can be held liable because they, quote-unquote, caused the publication by giving them the platform to begin with. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. So besides fake news, there's also an important issue about how much information do people deserve. And this is more discussing the patients themselves. So I'm part of the tele- Telegram group and they released the information about like who, how old are the people who are affected? Where are they confined? Why did they get the disease? Like did they come in contact? Did they have recent travels? Etc. But there's a question of should we reveal the information of these people? Yeah, should we reveal who they are, for example? Like their names? Do you like think? their identities? I think it's pretty debatable because on one hand, I've seen a lot of people go like, this is basically doxing. You're invading their right to privacy. And on the other hand, you have a lot of people who are saying, 
okay, if you follow what the DOH is telling us to stay away or distance ourselves socially from people who are confirmed to have the virus or the disease, how are we supposed to do that if you don't even know who they are? Yeah. Right? So I think that the, it's up to you, listener, like what camp you fall under. It's either you want to protect the privacy rights of people from doxing, etc., or, um, and you have to recognize a trade-off, like, like it's debatable how much more effective these measures will be, but you will have to re- recognize that it might be even marginally more effective if you know the identities of these people. Actually, South Korea dealt with this issue pretty well, at least for the first few cases, because when it reached the thousands, they couldn't do this method anymore. And the method they did was they didn't reveal who this person was, but they gave people a timeline of where this person has been at what particular time and where they have been like on, on these days, on, on this hour, like what train line did they ride, what bus did they get on. And this was pretty good, I think, because it had a strike of balance between knowing like if you're safe but not revealing who this person is in particular. I think that's hard to pull off here in the Philippines though because in Korea, you use just one card for all your... Like, transactions. Yeah, all your transactions and all your transport needs. So they have pretty much a very clear record of when did you tap in, when did you tap out, when did you get on the bus and get off the bus. But in the Philippines, you don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's also a failure of our government, which leads us to the second part. So besides just talking about issues of information, we also have to talk about how the governments are dealing with these things. So it's an issue of governance. And this is pretty like varied a lot of countries are responding in so many different ways. So Italy, for example, as of today, they had a major lockdown. The whole country's in lockdown, meaning no one can get in, no one can get out. 60 million people are basically trapped in the country because their cases just basically skyrocketed in the past few weeks. So that's one drastic response. And it's getting a lot of criticism, but at the same time, a lot of praise. Yeah, so no one can get in, no one can, can get out. Oh, it's like Plague Inc. Yes. Like where <laughs> if the virus gets out of hand, you see countries like Greenland and they're going to shut down their ports, they're going to shut down their airports. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, it's a game. That's, that's also a travel ban. So there have been a lot of talks about travel bans. I think, for example, in the Philippines, there's so much talk about whether or not we should still allow flights from Wuhan to come in. In the first few days since the virus was like basically spreading around, running amok, um, our, our government hesitated on responding this way. But I'm not sure now. I think Wuhan themselves just locked in. They didn't allow flights out. But even our government is still pretty relaxed about our traveling. They still allow flights from countries like South Korea and China in general. Some people would say that discussions about travel bans end up becoming a bit racist. They do, if you're yeah. not talking about them sensitively. Yeah, but what I would say is, that, like, regardless of the potential racism that comes out from these discussions. I personally do not think that they're effective. Um, and I've read a study that said that at most, a travel ban would only um, delay the spread of the virus or the disease by the amount of time that it takes to double the incidence rate for that disease. So if it would take a week for the number of people who are infected to double it would also just delay the spread by a week if you have the travel ban. And I think at this point, given that it's spread so far, a travel ban would basically be useless because a lot of cases, even in the Philippines, are not from people who travel abroad anymore. They're locally transmitted. 
So I think it's too late, <laughs> even if you are considering a travel ban. The second thing about governance is probably the law about, not law, but basically a recommendation on social distancing, which is why a lot of people are suspended and are, are at home. Hopefully, you are at home. <laughs> yeah. But how effective is this again? Especially since, like, churches still gather. I think people are dumb and still go to the malls. Like we did accidentally. <laughs> we went to the mall a few days ago because we didn't know. So maybe know. not dumb. Maybe just ignorant. I-, I think we were not informed fast enough. I-, I wasn't on my phone. There were little announcements in the mall itself when we were there. So when the spread was taking place, we were in a movie house. We were watching Konosuba. And then when we got out, it's like, oh my gosh, there are now 20 cases in the country. We should probably quarantine <laughs> it ourselves. It doubled. In the time the of time the movie. we watched the movie. Yeah. So I, I think, again, this goes back to governance. The fact that there should be a proper way to get people to know about it, even if they don't have devices. I think the people who are most affected here are, are the poor, which we'll be talking about later. But I think my personal experience just proves that like information is really crucial and the government not doing what they can to spread that information and make it as accessible as possible brought a lot of harms. Another issue is lack of infrastructure and lack of testing kits. So your dad actually told me really early in the morning <laughs> that there are only 2,000 kits in the Philippines um, that was revealed during a hearing, which is horrible. And that's probably because the DOH had a 10 billion peso budget cut, which again governance is proof of why our, our at least this administration is not dealing with health issues properly. But I also heard that they're getting the testing kits from WHO, so it might be because the WHO simply isn't giving out enough. Mm. But at the same time, why are we so reliant on the WHO to begin with? We Shouldn't we have like enough budget to make, make our own testing kits? So like UP made their own testing kits, the National Institute of Health, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that that's great. But the question is, will the government fund it enough such that everyone gets access to it? Because I know the UPD kits are relatively cheaper compared to the ones we're buying from WHO. Yeah. Oh, also, um, in in some hospitals, like from my, uh, from my province. <laughs> yeah. From from my hometown, mm-hmm. we have a hospital. Tapos, their capacity for dealing with these cases, the the isolation wards, and there are only five of them. You can, they can only carry five um, patients who are highly contagious and infectious. Wow. Yeah. So imagine, right? If there are thousands na. Oof. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Um, I was also thinking something about yung, that gun type thing that they use to measure your temperature. Yeah. The I, I, I don't know what you call that. Like a... I forget. Yeah, but it looks like a gun. It's become a meme. If you enter a mall or ent- enter any building, there's a guard that will like point this at your forehead and get your temperature. I think that's pretty okay. But again, given that the virus incubates between 5 to 15 days, or 2 to 15 days now, they've said. Isn't it 1 to 14 days with 5 being the average? I thought it was 2. Again, the numbers keep changing, right? Before it was 5 to 14 days and then it became 2. I'm not sure if it's 1 to 14 days now. Maybe because the the strain mutated, we're not sure. But basically, I think checking someone's temperature isn't enough because they could be like holding the host. Uh, hold, they they could be a host for the virus. It just hasn't you know affected them yet. But it doesn't mean they can't spread it. There are also lots of legal issues here. Mm. For example, um, I can imagine someone saying, mm, "Why are you checking my temperature? Isn't this a violation of my privacy?" And when they first did that here in my 
condo building, I was like, hmm, isn't this a violation of my privacy? Is it? Uh, yes, but it's a limited form of that. So the but the, for example, airports do that all the time. Yes, Whenever yes. you land, you have to go through a camera that checks your body temperature. Yes, and what what I'm saying is that it is a little invasion of your privacy, but it's a permissible invasion. So you call these limited searches. Oh, yeah. So if it if it is limited and you do not violate privacy beyond what you need to do in order to make sure that the public interest is being um, served, then it's perfectly fine. Because at that point, and the, the test here for privacy concerns is whether or not you have a reasonable expectation of privacy. So for example, if you're going through an airport and you might have some dangerous substances, you do not really have the reasonable expectation of privacy to keep all of your stuff like not checked, mm. right? And it's the same reason why if you're walking around and you have um, you have a packet of drugs in your hand and a policeman sees it, that policeman can say, "Give me that! Give me that!" Mm-hmm. Even though it's like, "No, this is my this is my property. It's privacy." No, at that point, because you're out in public and there is a public interest that needs to be served, you do not have that reasonable expectation of privacy. Mm, I guess that's solved then. Um, besides our local issues of governance, I think it would be interesting to check out on what other countries are doing as well. So the U.S. also has an issue of governance because. Their medicine is so expensive there. And this is why Medicare for All is such a big deal, especially during the elections and during the height of this virus. So a lot of people cannot afford to get themselves checked. They cannot afford to even take a day off from work to quarantine themselves because they don't have enough sick leaves there in the U.S. And people are generally just too poor to like get themselves to a hospital and double check. They're going to wait until the last possible minute before getting checked. If you look at Iran as well, I could say there's a failure in their governance there because even the de- deputy health minister said that things were okay and there was no more spread and he himself was coughing and then the next day, he was revealed to have the coronavirus. Yeah. That's and, pretty bad. <laughs> and also, since we're talking about issues of governance, we have some recommendations from the DOH say, oh, you should do self-quarantine, self-quarantine, but what if you don't want to, right? Can can the DOH, can the government, like, legally tell you, no, you have to stay there. We don't care about what you want. Yeah, right? they can't. They can't. That's they, the problem. They can't. And the reason for that is because the only way that you can involuntarily re- restrict someone's, like, travel, mobility. like, mobility is if there was a crime committed, for example. So, in the United States, the, the rule is, and, like, they say this in a lot of words, but the rule is, if there was no crime... You cannot confine. Ooh, catchy. <laughs> catchy. So the only, if I'm not mistaken, one of the only exceptions to that rule is if a person is um, mentally unstable. And not just that, um, the mental instability has to go as far as that person not being able to control themselves and might pose a danger to others. Okay. And I think this is an issue that doesn't reach that threshold yet. Or I don't, I don't think it ever will. Because it's a virus. It's not actively, like, killing people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, there, there's there's something really important I want to stress. There's a difference between isolation and quarantine. So isolation happens when there is someone that you know is infected with a virus or has a disease. And you're isolating that person from, like... The rest of the world. The rest of the world. But if you're talking about quarantining, it is when a person who we are not sure whether or not that person has the disease or not. Like, you're 
allowing that per you're making that person or that person is voluntarily like closing himself distancing himself from social interactions so the difference here is if you're quarantining yourself it should be um because you're not sure whether or not you have the disease right so as soon as you get some symptoms you go to the triage and explain your circumstances so you shouldn't you shouldn't wait until it's too late for you to report your symptoms yep um other countries also deal with it in different ways japan is actually considering canceling the olympics which is a big deal saudi stopped accepting people who want to go through their pilgrimage to mecca which is a religious issue um and even all the eu countries now have the the virus and even their health minister also has the virus too oh yeah i remember waking up to that piece of news and i was like oh no oh no <laughs> yeah so there's a lot of things going on there are a lot of uh different ways this issue is being dealt with i don't think we can like like look at them one by one but basically this just proves that our capitalist system has made it so hard for us to deal with these issues because people are afraid of revealing information and people are afraid of even cutting work because there's just too much to lose and people would rather get sick than quarantine themselves which is horrible and upsetting <laughs> mm. yes i did think about that the other day like a few weeks ago like half a month ago i was thinking about um rational epidemics rational epidemics in which people know that they should be spending much more on healthcare or healthful activities than they are actually doing but they don't because the optimal amount of healthful activity comes at an opportunity cost so if people would have to choose between working on a subsistence wage and not having work for example or not going to work knowing that sick leaves are not mandated in our country for laborers right they're mo- more likely to find their own balance between the two and this is the reason why you have a collective action problem where people even though they might have a lot of information about how diseases spread um so in in the best case scenario where we have really information. nice information mm-hmm. dissemination there might still be individuals who are more willing to forego some of their precautions in order to get work for example yeah which brings us to the last issue which is a class issue and a lot of people forget this angle and i'm happy it's been coming up in the past few days especially since classes have been suspended and schools for example in the us like harvard just stopped classes completely and are forcing international students to go home it's just people can't afford it a lot of people cannot afford to work from home because they may not have a computer that's working or they may not have stable internet to fulfill the tasks that they could have done in the office so they choose to still go into the office or risk being fired because a lot of companies can afford to lay people off but people individually cannot afford to lose their jobs yeah which is also the reason why you you can still order food from grab food for example yeah Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is sad because these people risk their lives every day for people who are quarantining themselves because they cannot afford to miss a day of work. And students as well. I think a lot of people like naturally were happy that classes were suspended, but a lot of people are also worried because it means they could possibly be delayed in school. It means they have to access like Google Classroom and they may not have the resources for that. So, in your attempt to keep them safe you are still forcing them to go out to computer shops just to attend online classes and etc so social distancing is actually a luxury that a lot of people can't afford and this is something i think 
that is rooted in, again, our capitalist mindset of earning, 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 that we put our health on the back burner. Or people who are very vocal about these protections, about social distancing, they're most likely not the ones who literally need to stay in crowded areas in order to live day to day. Yeah, people who commute in the MRTs, people who have to sit beside other people who are coughing on the jeep, or even our prisons. Can you imagine how the spread would take place in a prison where people literally have to take shifts to sleep? Because there's not enough space. There's not enough floor for people to sleep on. And that's probably going to be a problem. I think it's also a class issue because if you notice, the Philippines for the longest time had very little cases and people thought that it was a good thing. It meant we were successful. We were confining it. Why were countries like South Korea and US and all the EU countries able to report a lot of these things? But in reality, it was just because we didn't detect it. <laughs> we didn't have the resources to test people. So the our low numbers aren't because we are disease-free or the virus isn't spreading. It's because we are just too poor to see it, which will lead to a lot of problems in the long run. I wouldn't be surprised if by the time this episode came out, if there are 10 more cases or 30 more cases because it took so long and it's only now that our government and the people are taking this issue seriously. Yeah, so... In my opinion, I think it is high time for us to reconsider um, some parts of the labor code, particularly labor standards law, because right now we do not have provisions that mandate employers to give out sick leaves or vacation leaves, but more importantly for this topic, sick, sick leaves. leaves. Um, so the only way for you to have a vested right to sick leaves is if it becomes company practice for the longest time that the company gives out sick leaves mm. and to certain people. But if it if your employer does not have that company practice, then it's not a vested right for you to have sick leaves. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, the comp the employer during times of national emergency can actually compel people to do overtime, can compel their employees to work, even if um, doing so would come at great cost to the labor. Yeah, that's sad. This episode is making me sad. I think it's it's pretty clear that we're not talking about the very technical parts of this virus and this outbreak. Personally, because we're not comfortable discussing those things, we are just people with also limited information as much as um, the next person. So do not take our word like as gospel truth. As gospel truth. Because as much as we want to know things about this, our information is also limited and it's only also based on what's circulating online. If you want to learn more about this issue, I suggest going to the WHO website. I suggest looking at the opinions of the DOH. I also suggest reading up more and like tapping people that you know who work for the medical community. They may have more insights. We're just basically talking about issues that we have confidence in talking about. So that's the economic aspects, the political aspects, and basically the issues that surround it. But do not limit your information to this podcast alone. There is a sea of information out there that may benefit you. So yeah. in conclusion, there's a lot of problems right now. Keep yourself indoors. Wash your hands properly. Don't touch your face so much. Wear a mask. Wear the proper mask. So in the hierarchy, it's the N95 mask, which is not as effective. But if you can get yourself a hazmat suit, then that's great. But N95 is good. If you don't have that, then a surgical mask. If not, even a cloth mask. 
helps. Yeah. And I I think that people shouldn't be so quick to panic. And it feels like major privilege to be the same, but like I think panic usually worsens the problem more than it helps. Oh, especially since people are hoarding things, right? I think Australia doesn't have toilet paper anymore. People are basically hoarding all the toilet paper. Our country ran out of masks months ago or a month ago. When was the volcano eruption? Wasn't basically, yeah. So that's two months ago. We ran out of masks during the Taal eruption, and then Encov took place, and we don't have masks anymore. So basically, a lot of people have to survive not knowing where to buy these masks. And it's not because we just don't have enough masks. It's just people are buying by the hundreds, even if they don't need it. So don't be selfish with your consumption. Again, yeah, I think a lot of panic makes situations worse. So just keep and a even, level head. Even if you have a level head, don't be a dick about it. Like, I've heard some people go like, oh, 3% naman lang yung mortality rate. Like, it's more likely that I'm not gonna whatever or it doesn't affect me because I'm young or I don't have a... um a pre-existing condition but like don't be a dick about it like recognize that every time you say those kinds of things it just like rubs salt in the wounds of people who have those pre-existing conditions yeah. who are like people who are of a particular are age particular age right so think about what you can do for yourself but also do not go so far as to endanger other people because of your actions yeah so additional notes don't be racist don't be a dick just keep a level head and eventually hopefully there's going to be a solution to this uh pandemic yes yes so that's it for this episode um it's a rather lengthy one but that's because there's so much information regarding this issue it's a hot topic and there's just a lot of things on our mind that we wanted to share so that's it for this episode thanks for listening keep yourself safe we'll see you in the next one Bye. Bye. Stay safe.